It's Vancouver's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. I'm Angela Fay, hub builder and co-host of British Columbia's podcasts, part of the Canada's Podcast Network, your source for great insights from entrepreneurs from across Canada. We talk to entrepreneurs who are making it happen here so you can listen, discover, and engage. Today, we are talking to David Greer. And uh, who's based here in Vancouver, I'm going to let David introduce himself by telling and sharing a little bit of your entrepreneurial journey. Dave, how did you get here? Thanks, Angie. Yeah, so I've been asked this question a lot in the last week or so, it turns out. I grew up in Edmonton, and uh, when I was in junior high, I remember um, two things. I got taught octal arithmetic and that uh, the fact that we counted 10 is because we have 10 of these, but it's kind of arbitrary. And I got taken on a tour of the uh, government buildings and saw a computer room. And uh, I knew at age 14, I wanted to take computers and business and put them together. So I'm fortunate in that I had this very early vision. I ended up out here on the coast and going to the University of British Columbia And I joined a young software startup as the first employee uh, while I was still in fourth year. A part of condition of my employment was that I had to apply to the uh, Hewlett-Packard International User Group Convention to give a paper, uh, which I did and which I wrote. And so I gave my first, I had to go to my profs at UBC and ask for a week off to go to this convention where I uh, gave my first technical talk. You know, I was 22 standing up on the San Jose convention floor selling software and having no idea that's what I was doing. (laughs) I was like a techie geek telling a bunch of other techie geeks about this cool stuff and what it could do for them. And, you know, years later, I learned like that's the essence of marketing and sales is you relate to people, right? You understand their problem. You have a solution to you. you, They have a pain. You have a pain pill. Um, anyways, I liked the place. I stayed 20 years and built it into a oh, wow. powerhouse. Uh, I, uh, in a bunch of corporate different organizations, it was named for Robert and Annabelle. So it was called Robel, a concatenation of their two names, which still Googles well because it's a made up name. Um, and then in 91, Annabelle wanted to retire. And so I ended up buying out her shares and becoming a full partner with And then in 2001, we had a totally different vision of where we wanted to take the company. And um, we settled that difference by him buying me out. Okay. And then so from 2001, what's been the the pathway, the David pathway? Well, first of all, uh, my wife had sold her physio clinic. So we we have a family with two entrepreneurs uh, and three kids. That's always scary. And three kids. (laughs) So we decided to do something completely different. We commissioned a sailboat in the south of France and took our three kids and homeschooled them for two years while sailing more than uh, 10,000 kilometers, uh, 5,000 miles in the Mediterranean. That's fantastic. You know, the the ultimate digital nomad lifestyle there. Yes. Well, and really disconnected a lot. I did stay in touch with people and I wrote an online diary. But uh, for those that remember, 2001 to 2003 was the dot-com meltdown. So if you're going to take a time out in the technology <laughs> sector, like that was the perfect time to do it. I, I'd like to say I was so smart that I you know, knew that and did it on purpose. But of course, that wouldn't be true. And then, you know, after I came back, I did a number of years of angel investing, uh, working for options, uh, sitting on boards, making investments, 
you know, I looked on average at a hundred deals a year. So I saw a lot of business plans, a met a, a lot yeah. of people, saw a lot of angel pitches. You know, I learned a lot of things like it, Robel was just a privately run, you know, self-financed out of profit business. Mm -hmm. So this whole having outside investors and managing them and board of directors and kind of all the, all the best practices around that. I learned that um, kind of during that period. And then ultimately it wasn't fulfilling for me. I had too much energy, too much I wanted to do, too many entrepreneurs that didn't want to listen to what I said, you know, which is their right, but it's not like I wanted to continue with that. So then I did a series of gigs with entrepreneur friends of mine, typically in a senior executive like marketing and sales role, but I was often coaching or working behind the scenes on the overall strategy and strategic planning. Mm -hmm. So I, I worked for, for my friend Burkett Foster, who I'd known for 30 years, I guess probably 40 years now. Uh, his company is based in the Ottawa Valley. So I, I worked three weeks in Vancouver and flew out to uh, Chesterville in the Ottawa Valley a week a month. And the last gig I did was uh, VP of Marketing with Web Tech Wireless, which is a local uh, telematics company. So it's a company that has technology, it's bolted onto vehicles, and then you track them in real time. And was WebTech was a pioneer in that. Now, subsequently to my leaving, I mean, I left in 2014. So uh, it merged with another company, got bought with another company, which I think got bought with another company. And I don't even remember who it is now. <laughs> but <laughs> Uh, that happens, there's, right? there's still a lot of web tech people around and it's still a going concern out in, out in Burnaby. Um, and after that, I decided like I hired an awesome coach on my 50th birthday in August, 2007, Kevin Lawrence and Kevin and I did a lot of amazing things together. And I decided after I came out of web tech wireless that I, the gifts that I got from Kevin, I wanted to be able to offer to other entrepreneurs. So I made the choice of becoming a coach. And then I had done a lot of work with Vern Harnish's one-page strategic plan and the Gazelle's methodology. Uh, so I had some expertise in that. So I also have a facilitation practice around strategic planning. Who do you work for in the strategic planning realm? Would it be direct with entrepreneurs or more? Yeah, so I work with, okay. so it's always the CEO hires me, but I work with the CEO slash entrepreneur and the senior okay. leadership team. Okay. And then if you could describe a particular profile of people in your client list, and maybe if we could narrow that down to the profile of your favorite, right. your favorite, and why, what do you love about working with that particular group? What is it about them? Uh, so on the facilitation side, I tend to attract considerably bigger clients, either with a lot of money to invest or to manage other companies, or... Uh, super, super ambitious, innovative companies. I mean, I have one who's my favorite. I, I have confidentiality with all of my companies. Of so uh, if I even said the industry they were in, it would give it away. Um, okay. But they're pre-revenue with a five-year plan to get to 100 million. And it's, it's like it's, it's a believable plan. What are the characteristics of a company like that today? Uh, characteristics are they have a, a Fortune 100 company that's made a huge bet on them and believes in them and has invested a lot of capital. So I, I don't want to spend a lot of time worrying about money with them. A super, super brainiac inventor. Been inventing since he was, well, I, I had my epiphany in grade eight. He started inventing in grade eight. And, and he's invented this incredibly disruptive technology in a particular 
sector. Uh, mm -hmm. The sector doesn't have much operation uh, here in Vancouver, but the Brainiac lives here, so. That, that's our yes. geographical special niche that is here, right? Well, and, and you know, Vancouver companies like Robel was an international company. It was based, yes. headquartered in Surrey, but we maybe had 15% of our customers were in Canada, you know, 60% in the US and then, I mean, in Asia, all through mm -hmm. Europe. So this notion of being based here, but operating globally is, is not foreign to some of us. Let's actually just delve into that a little bit, David, if you don't mind, because um, you know that we're in an interesting time and I'm still trying to decide if we're still in crisis management for, or if we're on the path to recovery. But, uh, you know, it's not the first time that, um, you know, with a dot-com crash or a financial crash in 2008, but this time it seems to be a little bit more global, globally impacted with uh, COVID-19 today. Um, what are you seeing in regards to companies' perception or their vision for working locally versus globally? Just anecdotally, what do you think? I guess I don't, I don't have enough, you know, my clients, I tend to attract people who look, tend to look at bigger opportunities, you know, uh, like for this one I'm super excited about. In fact, they see this crisis uh, because of their technology can eventually be used in food handling. And so okay. that, that, by the time they actually get the technology ready to release, they just see even bigger market pull. Right. So, so for them, it's like, like they're already at a hyper speed. Like it's, it's unbelievable what they're trying to do this year. Really unbelievable. But it's like the CEO is, and we got to go faster. Right. Well, in that, it, it, certainly hearing in, in my spheres of influence that, you know, there's definitely the, the businesses and, and particularly small businesses that have kind of ground to a little bit of a halt or certainly pause or are massively pivoting. Um, but there is definitely a trend of companies that are thriving. Right? Yes. In, this, in this environment, do you what? What? How would you describe describe those? You mentioned food handling. Are there any other sort of sectors that you think stand out as being pandemic proof? Uh, as a woman I know in Australia who um, does uh, remote support and and uh, basically enables companies to operate remotely from a technology platform point of view. She her plans the next three to five years is like to just grow massively because people are starting to learn where their infrastructure is really falling down to have people work at home and or, well, I can't have people go in the office, so I can't manage this. And right. they have spent years figuring out how to do exactly that, basically remote management of data centers, of critical mm -hmm. IT infrastructure, um, and they offer you know, an outsourced solution. So absolutely thinking in terms of longer term, thriving, sure. growth, I've seen some significant uh, pivots, but again, it's really, for most entrepreneurs, it's either kind of fold and collapse under the pressure of all of this. And like, mm -hmm. I don't work with people in retail or restaurant or mm -hmm. some of these ones who've, I think, really, really been impacted. I'm not as certain as them. And then, you know, others have just made sure to manage their cash and then, you know, Let's look at the next 12 to 24 months to make sure we don't run out of cash. And what's our plan to get us both through that, but beyond it? I mean, part of the planning that I do is that the core planning looks three to five years out. It always starts by looking 
Like when I, when Bob and I were running Robel, we tended to, you know, do a little better next year than we did last year. And it got us far, like, and we were very successful. But the, the kind of people I work with now have bigger visions and we start by this looking, and the Gazelle's process asks us to first look three, six years, where do you need to be? Like if you're in a growing market and you have 20% market share, but that market is growing at 10% a year, then in five years, you're not going to hold your 20% market share unless you grow at least at the rate of the market, right? right? So it, it forces you to think completely different about your strategy. And then when you know where you're going in three years, well, then it's like, well, what do we have to do in the next year? So we got a chance to get where we want to go in three or six. And then, you know, so what do we got to then get done this quarter to get us to where we have to go this year? So that that's more in my planning methodology, but that planning is working really well with, with, you know, my clients are uh, determined to thrive. Right. And maybe, and maybe that's one of the kind of takeaway tips is start with where do you need to be in three to five years, right? Or where, where the industry trends are. And I realize it's a little bit difficult to predict right now, but um, you know, there is some foreseeable statistics and, and trends that we can follow. Well, or at least you, you can, so part of the Gazelle's methodology as well is like, what are the top five or six trends that are going to impact your business? And the thing is to write them down. Like, it's not that it's static. It's, we're basing a plan based on, like, if you need travel or you need to go to events or travel is your business, like, you know, the reading that I see, because I love to travel, <laughs> is... Um, maybe in three years time, we'll be back to where we were before this all happened. So that's like an assumption I would put into a plan. That's the trend that we're going to say for now, that's, that's what the trend is going to be and then build the plan around that. Now, as you move forward, you've got to adjust the new facts. Like maybe it'll go slower, maybe it'll go faster. Right? <laughs> there lies the question, right? Well, and right now that like all we know is we don't know. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, and one thing I want, I would uh, like to shift tax a little bit and um, uh, talk about you a little bit more. So okay. if that's okay, let's just pull a little bit of uniqueness out of David right now. You, uh, in our introductory interview, I was excited. You, you have a goal of uh, impacting a hundred thousand entrepreneurs. So yep. how, how are you looking at doing that? What, what's your, what's the plan? Uh, so my plan is I published a book. And it's continue to uh, use that book as a resource. And I wrote it uh, very intentionally as an evergreen resource. I worked with my publisher last year to do the audio version of the book. And I found two paragraphs that were out of date, right. out, of okay. out of a 150 page book. You know, it focuses on what I think are 10, 10 core strategies or pieces of your business. Um, and then a lot of practical advice of how to apply. Like, so these are how you should think about it. And then this is how you'd apply it. And a third of the book is entrepreneur friends of mine whose case studies I feature. They're all BC based. Um, so it's not just like my experience, but you're getting the experience of 10 other successful entrepreneurs. So I'm doing that. I do a little bit of public speaking. Uh, my current focus a little bit last year, a lot this year, and probably again next year is to do podcast interviews like this. And then one-on-one, -on -one, I did do a lot of attending of local events, Tech Vancouver, um, other events, uh, which is another way to connect with people and have an impact with them. So 
You know, I don't, I've never figured out a way of having like a hundred, how to measure my hundred thousand person goal, but you know, I'm a big believer in Jim Collins, good to great, you know, and okay. having a big, big, hairy, audacious goal. So yes. this gets me out of bed in the morning. This keeps me on the march towards this goal. Absolutely. It's fantastic. And if, um, it's, so if you could describe it as a legacy, what would be the legacy piece that you would like to uh, instill in the mindset or the hearts of the entrepreneurs that you touch? Uh, that I help them step into their single biggest challenge. Step into it and address step. it and work through Correct. it. Right. Nice. Okay. Love it. Let's, let me ask what, do you have any inspirational quotes or motivational quotes that are, you know, sitting on your computer right now or framed on your wall that drive drive you or that are favorite? Well, you know, the classic one, it's very, very well known, is Einstein's, you know, doing the same thing over and over in the same way and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And this is part of why I think people should hire a coach is that we get into our way of thinking and we get very close to our problems. And we need, if you, if you can't afford to hire a coach, find a mentor find someone else. Like in preparing for this, I looked at one of your interviews with Yuri Fulmer and he talked about, you know, entrepreneurs rarely ask for help and they're rarely humble. But if they don't get humble or don't ask for help, then they're just Einstein's definition of insanity because they tend to just do the same things over and over and hope for different results, which aren't going to come. Well, and I, I had, um, beer conversation. I, I experienced a local brewery that was partially open, right, with some COVID precautions in there with screens and spaced out tables yesterday for the first time. So I was very excited about that. But one of the things that we talked about was, you know, how you get into a groove in whether it's business or even personal. Yep. And it, it, you know, your perception is really only just your perception. And it's not necessarily truth. And it does take a David or, you know, a, a Yuri Fulmer or, or, you know, some, some people to maybe offer new perspectives, new insights, just an alternative question on how you perceive things. Right. Coaches don't have answers. All we've got are good questions. Fantastic. What would be a, a question that you would ask a prospective client? Yeah. Why did you start your business? What type of answer are you looking for in a perfect world? What I'm looking for is to see, you know, what they, what their original vision was. And then at some point in the conversation, what will usually show up is like how aligned they are to like either their vision change, which is perfectly fine. But often what happens is they started a vision. They did really well. That was the part that was super exciting for them. And now they're running a big business and they're making millions of dollars. And that's not, that's not what's fun for them. Like what was fun was when they had the original vision and they did that original work. And so some of what I'm listening for is, is this, are you still having fun? And oftentimes when you ask an entrepreneur point blank, they'll say, of course. So you, you have to ask questions. <laughs> you have to dig a little? Yeah, you have to ask questions around it because they've, they've kind of normalized to this. Well, isn't answering 200 emails a day? Well, of course, that's what I do. Yeah, right. is, that what you, is that what you want to do? The importance of fun, I think, is uh, something that we've lost a lot of in, in this day and age. Maybe even this, maybe one of the COVID effects is that people have spent a little bit more time with family and with friends having fun, right? And if you're not dealing with crisis, but certainly in a, in a personal 
we're doing stuff. We're, we're playing games and we're doing some of the things that uh, maybe we've lost touch with doing when we're also busy. We're trying new things. We're playing yes. games on Zoom. My kids have found an online version of Settlers of Catan. So they sometimes are getting together with friends or their siblings and playing that, right? And so we have this opportunity where we're playing more because we have to, right? And, and sometimes it feels uncomfortable and we don't really want to do it. And there's kind of friction, but that's, that's okay. Like, because we're trying a lot of new stuff. Are you still getting outside? I know you're a sailor. And, and for just a moment, I am going to mention the name of your book, which is Wind, wind in Your Sails. So I just love the analogy because I can totally envision, you know, literally wind in your sails and moving forward. But, the, you know, the analogy is that it's related to sailing, of which you have done lots of in the past. Are you getting out and doing some sailing today? Uh, I haven't been sailing yet, um, partly because the Coast Guard has been asking us not to do much sailing. Um, right. And also, I don't have a boat right now, so I rent boats from my yacht club, and those have been locked down. Uh, they're supposed to come available after June 6th, because I've been checking. You've been checking. <laughs> but and, I, anyways, I, I do yeah. get out every day. Like, I ran on the beach yesterday morning. I, I need to get out of the house every day. I'm with you, David. Tell me a little bit about uh, Vancouver. One of the fun things about... Canada's podcast is we are coast to coast. We're across Canada. We have podcasters. And so we, we like to highlight some of the uniqueness of uh, distinctive features and attributes of the business climate, but also the leisure and personal climates of the communities in which our entrepreneurs live. So what you're in, are you right downtown Vancouver? Uh, I'm Kitsilano, so very... Oh, yeah. Anybody who needs to look up Kitsilana is like this hip, cool, beachy community in Vancouver. But what do you, what do you love about Kitsilano? Uh, Kits Beach. I just love walking, being around all the people. Um, in the summertime, I often take a blanket, go lie in the grass, have, have a nap. You know, if I'm having an afternoon break or after work, because I mean, it's mm -hmm. late now till nine o'clock. Uh, yeah, I just love it. And, you know, in the business climate, you know, I find a real difference like Toronto people tend to live to work okay. and I think people are attracted to Vancouver because they, they, they work to live. Like the work is, you know, the work needs to be fulfilling and sustaining, but it's like, it, it's not working all hours for all things because it's only a part of their life because you move here because you want to go hiking in the mountains or you want to go, kayaking on the water or like me sailing or in the winter go up skiing like when you're surrounded by this much natural beauty it's very hard not to want to go out and be part of it and uh, I think it really attracts and in fact even you know we pay less for software engineers like we have an incredibly robust and growing tech sector but we're known as like underpaying a little not just by American standards but even maybe a little bit compared to Toronto. Canadian standards, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and what does HR and what do entrepreneurs do to attract people? Well, they keep selling beautiful Vancouver and BC, right? It's an easy sell. It is an easy sell. Yeah. Let's talk about some value add for our listeners. So if you could offer maybe some tips or you know some compelling questions that uh, people can take advantage of right now from, from David's wisdom and insight. Well, I started a new program just before COVID broke out, um, but it is, I did finish building it out and it is live. And so if you go growyourbizquiz.com 
And yeah. there I have, I think, kind of six fundamental questions about growing your business. So I've already thought about it. And um, you can feel free to just fill those out and I'll get the responses. Um, and I'm also happy to spend an hour in a coaching call with any entrepreneur and no charge. So if someone wants to do that and wants me to follow up with them, I'm happy to offer that. I don't have a, because often it, an entrepreneur instigates reaching out to me. So then the question is, why did you reach out to me? And then kind of everything falls into place. Falls into place from that. And I don't have my grow my biz quiz questions right in the top of my head, of course. But uh, one of them is the why you started your business. The other one that I uh, ask very often is uh, describe to me everything you know about your ideal customer. And uh, it's surprising how often entrepreneurs can't do that. They don't really know. Oh, well, I have this kind and that kind. And it's usually a sign of a strategy that's scattering kind of all over. And so it's very hard to marshal enough resources to really yes. go after one segment. Actually, that's a great um, observation. And the other thing I would potentially add that I hear is instead of creating the ideal, you know, the pathway to the ideal client, people test, well, where's demand? What are people looking for? And I'll create a product or service to, to go after where I think there might be a demand or money. And even then, even after you go figure out the market demand and where it is, I still think you sell to people. You don't sell to markets. You don't sell to businesses. At the end of the day, there is a person like you or like me who makes a decision, right? And so, yes. you, you, so who is that person? And, and when you're looking at market demand, who is the person who has the pain? So that's another very common question of mine, right? Like what's the pain that you're solving and is it yes. a need or a want? Because people rarely will pay very much for wants. They'll pay a lot for a need. And the bigger the need and the better your pain pill, then the more they'll pay you. But that's actually, you still got to know who the, who the person is, what their pain, how it shows up in their environment. And that's where value comes from. And I'm a big believer in value-based pricing, in figuring out where people really value products and services. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my questions tend to go, in things that try and elicit more information around that. I guess my one advice to entrepreneurs, if you are doing any kind of market research, you're trying to figure it out, or even if you're trying to figure out for an ideal customer, you know they bought it, but you don't exactly know why, is you ask them why, but you have to ask them three times. So why did you buy our product? Well, because it made me feel better. So why was it important to you that you feel better? da 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 and then from that, there'll be another underneath that. So it's the three layers of whys. Yeah. So if you get three layers deep, you're usually getting fairly close to the root challenge problem that the person is experiencing. And that's what you really want to be knowledgeable about. Because usually the first thing they tell you about is a symptom, right? And there is a big difference between the symptom and the... Yeah, like I, I'm cold. You know, and you dig down, it's because my furnace is not working. <laughs> But the person told you, why? <laughs> why do you have a problem? Because I'm cold. Well, they are cold. <laughs> <laughs> that one I can understand. It gets a little more complicated, I know, when you're talking about multi-million dollar businesses, right? So that's, that's partially your gift is being able to uncover some of that. Yeah, it's peeling away the layers until you get to the essence. Mm -hmm. Like, so a yeah. lot of my work in all of my career, like I think I've always been one, you know, I've given over 100 papers and presentations, 
my former partner and I had a policy of writing a new paper every year and traveling the planet and giving it to people. And you know, so I do have a gift of taking complicated and making it understandable. Nice. And that, that gift is also the finding of the essence. How can, uh, well, how are we going to get a hold of David next? So are, are there any events or virtual events or live things that you have coming up? I don't and have how, any current events. So how can post-podcast people get a hold of you? What's the best way? Uh, my website, coachdjgreer.com. And those are my initials, Coach David James Greer. Uh, my phone number and my email address is on every page. So. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So you're open to... to like I said, I am open over. for anyone to do a free one-hour coaching call. Awesome. Thank you very much, David, for some insight today. I look forward to following up on growyourbizquiz.com myself and then, nice. you know, to kind of cross-promote that or for any listeners, hopefully we'll please comment and let us know that you've connected with David. Thank you for joining us on Canada's podcast. Thank we you. We look forward to be, seeing you again. You bet. Thanks for taking the time today to listen to British Columbia's podcast on the Canada's Podcast Network. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Make sure you sign up for our newsletters and write a review for us on iTunes. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or at canadaspodcast.com. You can check out what other entrepreneurs are doing across the country. I'm Angela Fay. See you next time.